Volume 3, Chapter 19 of Gwenwin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Gwenwin, A Romance of the Why by Main Read. Volume 3, Chapter 19 The Last of Levin Murdoch. Once more a boat upon the Wye, passing between Rugg's Ferry and Langoran Court, but this time descending. It is the same boat, and as before, with two men in it, though they are not both the same who went up. One of them is Coracle Dick, still at the oars, while Father Rochier's place in the stern is now occupied by another, not sitting upright as was the priest, but lying along the bottom timbers with head coggled over and somewhat uncomfortably supported by the thwart this man is levin murdoch in a state of helpless inebriety in common parlance drunk he has been brought to the boat landing by the landlord of the welsh harp where he has been all day carousing and delivered to dempsey who now at a late hour of the night is conveying him homeward his hat is down by his feet instead of upon his head and the moonbeams falling unobstructed on his face show it of a sickly whitish hue while his eyes sunk deep in their sockets have each a demi lune of dark purplish colour underneath but for an occasional twitching of the facial muscles with a spasmodic movement of the lips and at intervals a rushes noise through his nostrils he might pass for dead as readily as dead drunk verily is the priest's prognosis based upon reliable data for by the symptoms now displayed levin murdoch is doing his best to destroy himself drinking suicidally for all he is not destined thus to die his end will come even sooner and it may be easier it is not distant now but ominously near as may be told by looking into the eyes of the man who sits opposite and recalling the conversation late exchanged between him and father rogier for in those dark orbs a fierce light scintillates such as is seen in the eyes of the assassin contemplating assassination or the jungle tiger when within springing distance of its prey nothing of all this sees the sot but lies unconscious every now and then giving out a snore regardless of danger as though everything around were innocent as the pale moonbeams shimmering down upon his cadaverous cheeks possibly he is dreaming and if so in all likelihood it is of a grand gas-lighted salon with tables of tapis vert carrying packs of playing cards dice cubes and ivory counters or the mise-en-scene of his visionary vagaries may be a drinking saloon where he carouses with boon companions their gambling limited to a simple tossing of odd and even heads or tails but if dreaming at all it is not of what is near him else far gone as he is he would be aroused instinctively 
to make a last struggle for life for the thing so near is death the fiend who sits regarding him in this helpless condition as it were holding levin murdoch's life or the little left of it in his hand has unquestionably determined upon taking it why he does not do so at once is not because he is restrained by any motive of mercy or reluctance to the spilling of blood the heart of the ci-devant poacher counterfeiter and cracksman has been long ago steeled against such silly and sensitive scruples the postponement of his hellish purpose is due to a mere question of convenience he dislikes the idea of having to trudge over miles of meadow in dripping garments true he could drown the drunken man and keep himself dry every stitch but that would not do for there will be another coroner's inquest at which he will have to be present he has escaped the two preceding but at this he will be surely called upon and as principal witness therefore he must be able to say he was wet and prove it as well into the river then will he go along with his victim though there is no need for his taking the plunge till he has got nearer to Langoran. So ingeniously contriving, he sits with arms mechanically working the oars, his eyes upon the doomed man, as those of a cat having a crippled mouse within easy reach of her claws, at any moment to be drawn in and destroyed. Silently but rapidly he rows on, needing no steerer. Between Rugg's Ferry and Langoran Court, he is as familiar with the river's channel as a coachman with the carriage drive to and from his master's mansion knows its every curve and crook every pearl and pool having explored them while paddling his little truckle and now sculling the larger craft it is all the same and he pulls on without once looking over his shoulder his eyes alone given to what is directly in front of him levin murdoch lying motionless at his feet as if himself moved by a sudden impulse impatience or the thought it might be as well to have the dangerous work over he ceases pulling and acts as though he were about to unship the oars but again he seems suddenly to change his intention on observing a white fleck by the river's edge which he knows to be the lime-washed walls of the widow wingate's cottage at the same time remembering that the main road passes by it what if there be some one on the road or the river's bank and be seen in the act of capsizing his own boat true it is after midnight and not likely any one abroad even the latest wayfarer but there might be and in such clear moonlight his every movement could be made out that place will not do for the deed of darkness he is contemplating and he trembles to think how near he has been to committing himself thus warned to the taking of precautions hitherto not thought of he proceeds onward summoning up before his mind the different turns and reaches of the river all the while mentally anathematizing the moon 
for besides convenience of place time begins to press even trouble him as he recalls the proverb of the cup and the lip he is growing nervously impatient almost apprehensive of failure through fear of being seen when rounding a bend he has before him the very thing he is in search of the place itself it is a short straight reach where the channel is narrow with high banks on both sides and trees overhanging whose shadows meeting across shut off the hated light shrouding the whole water surface in deep obscurity it is but a little way above the lone farmhouse of abergan and the mouth of the brook which there runs in but coracle dick is not thinking of either only of the place being appropriate for his diabolical design and becoming satisfied it is so he delays no longer but sets about its execution carrying it out with an adroitness which should fairly entitle him to the double reward promised by the priest having unshipped the oars he starts to his feet and mounting upon the thwart there for a second or two stands poised and balancing then stepping to the side he sets foot on the gunwale rail with his whole body's weight borne upon it in an instant over goes the boat careening bottom upwards and spilling levin murdoch as himself into the mad surging river the drunken man goes down like a lump of lead possibly without pain or the consciousness of being drowned only supposing it the continuation of his dream satisfied he has gone down the assassin cares not how he has enough to think of in saving himself enough to do swimming in his clothes even to the boots he reaches the bank nevertheless and climbs up it exhausted shivering like a water spaniel for snow has fallen on plinlimon and its thaw has to do with the freshet in the stream but the chill of the wye water is not compared with that sent through his flesh to the very marrow of his bones on discovering he has crawled out upon the spot the self-same spot where the waves gave back another body he had consigned to them that of mary morgan for a moment he stands horror-struck with hair on end the blood curdling in his veins then nerving himself to the effort he hitches up his dripping trousers and hurries away from the accursed place by himself accursed taking the direction of langoran but giving a wide berth to abergan he has no fear of approaching the former in wet garments instead knows that in this guise he will be all the more warmly welcomed as he is Mrs. Murdoch sits up late for Levin, though with little expectation of his coming home. Looking out of the window, in the moonlight she sees a man who comes striding across the carriage sweep up into the portico. Rushing to the door to receive him, she exclaims in counterfeit surprise, "'You, Monsieur Richard, not my husband!' When Coracle Dick has told his sad tale, shaped to suit the circumstances her half hysterical ejaculation might be supposed a cry of distress 
instead it is one of ecstatic delight she is unable to restrain at knowing herself now sole owner of the house over her head and the land for miles around it End of chapter 19 Read by Lars Rolander